If you brought your Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Genesis chapter 30. We continue to make our way through this first book of the Bible. And this morning as you're turning there, I wonder how many of you are concerned, perhaps discouraged, maybe even a little frustrated by the amount of evil that we so regularly see. It's like every day reveals a little bit more people acting wickedly, promoting wickedness. It's not just people, it's it's institutions, it's corporations. We're now we're now in the middle of a month where the great symbol of God's covenant faithfulness has been co-opted. Uh, where people and institutions and corporations are bending over backwards to show their support for, to celebrate, to promote, really to to normalize things that very clearly contradict God's Word. Things that are clearly not part of God's good design for human flourishing. There's a lot of evil out there, and it can be concerning and it can be frustrating. We might wonder, is God even still in control? Or has he given up? But if we're honest, and I mean really honest, the evil isn't just out there. There's also a lot of evil in here. That's also a pretty big source of discouragement at times, is it not? The world isn't as it should be, but neither am I. Neither are you. We're not experiencing the growth and the transformation that we long for, the the consistent victory over sin and temptation that we so desperately want. We long for these things, but if we're honest, our lives are often a mess. And so maybe we're afraid that that God might give up on us. Interestingly enough, I think that's one of the big things Moses wanted to address as he wrote Genesis. Do you think that could be? Yes. But that can be true only if it was true for the first recipients of Genesis. Only if it was true for Moses' original audience that he knew would receive Genesis when he finished writing it. Because Moses didn't know about us. (laughs) He didn't know that we would exist some 4,000 years later in a place called Orangeburg. He knew about the people in front of him. He knew about God's chosen people just starting out. Possibly even about to take possession of the promised land even as they hear Genesis read for the very first time. And they were a people in desperate need of encouragement because they were concerned and discouraged and frustrated by all the evil around them and by all the evil in them. Enemies attacking them as far as the eye could see, but also desperately struggling to be God's people themselves, 
shaking their stubborn inclinations to complain and to grumble, to blend in with the world around them, to worship false gods, they were a mess. I bet they might have even feared that God would give up on them. And so Moses composes the origin story, if you will. We just saw another Marvel movie a couple of days ago. There's always origin stories there. Genesis is the origin story of God's people. Genesis means beginning after all. And Moses tells his story of the beginning of God's people the way he does on purpose. And so there's a lot of encouragement to be found here. That no, God's not going to give up. Not because of the evil out there, nor because of the evil in here. There's encouragement here that he most certainly will fulfill all his promises. This is, if you were here last week, I mentioned a a whole other half that I wanted to get to, but time would not allow. This is it. This has been the constant and recurring theme throughout Genesis. And it just so happens that it dovetails nicely anyway with this next little episode that we find from Jacob this morning. It dovetails nicely because it's the consistent recurring theme of the whole book. We're going to find it all over the place. This recurring theme of God being doggedly committed to his people, stubbornly persistent in the faithful fulfilling of his promises in spite of the evil out there. In spite of the evil in here. We're going to finish chapter 30 this morning. 18 or so verses I didn't count. Um, Stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Chapter 30 beginning in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks 
He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of, of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. May the Lord bless the preaching of his inspired and errant infallible and authoritative word. Let's pray for a little help, shall we? Oh God, indeed, would you help? As we always need your help, if we are to rightly understand your word, if we are to take away from it that which you desire for us to take away, Uh, not simply uh, moralistic lessons of do this and don't do that, but that we might see you revealed in your holy word. That we might see you, O eternal Son of God, revealed in your holy word. That you, Holy Spirit, might take this powerful word and might do the necessary heart surgery that all of us need. You might change us through your powerful word. We might understand better the gospel of our Lord Jesus and the grace that is available to us. That we might understand specifically this morning, God, your stubborn and persistent faithfulness to your people. Help us to see it. Help us, more importantly, to believe it. We ask for this help in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. The truth that Moses is trying to beat into the hearts and minds of the Israelites and by extension into our hearts and minds, is that the faithfulness of God is unstoppable. He is going to be faithful. Period. Full stop. Nothing can get in the way of His being faithful. No no enemy of ours is so great that it can thwart God's plan. Not even our own sin, great though it may be, it can't thwart God's plans and purposes either. Now, on some level we get that. Yeah, 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 God's faithful. Blah, 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 move on. We struggle to believe it at times, but but it's back there in the back of our mind nonetheless. What really throws us for a loop, I think, and knocks us back on our heels to scratch our heads a bit, is that God's not just being faithful in spite of the evil out there and the evil in here. He's even being faithful through those things. He's using those things. He's weaving them into his plan. The evil intentions of others, the evil of our own sinfulness, 
He uses those things to actually accomplish his purposes. And we've seen it over and over again in Genesis. Right? There's so many examples. But even if we just stick with where we are right now with the story of Jacob, there's plenty here. Right? Jacob's deception and lies, God accomplishes his purposes through them, not just in spite of them. Now, this needs to be said. This is important. Did God need Jacob's sin in order to accomplish his purposes? Most definitely not. He could have very easily accomplished his plan without Jacob being a cheat and a liar. And it would have involved a whole lot less pain for Jacob that way too. See, some folks get a little antsy when you talk about how free grace is or when you talk about how God's going to accomplish his plans and purposes no matter what we do. And they think, oh my goodness, well, that might be true, but you really shouldn't go around telling people that. They'll probably try to abuse it if you tell them that. Well... That doesn't change the truthfulness of it. There's nothing we can do that will thwart God's plans and purposes. Nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that we say, woohoo, right? Let's just do whatever we want to with abandon. No, don't be foolish. Please don't be foolish. Our disobedience might not thwart God's plans and purposes because he's the sovereign almighty God. But... It sure will bring us a lot of unnecessary pain in the process. Pain that I'm sure we would love to avoid. God's way is always the best way. It should always be the way that we're to seek after and to strive for. But what this doctrine of God's unstoppable faithfulness does for us is it keeps us from despair when the inevitable happens. Right? When we, when we fail to attain that obedience that we were striving for, right, which happens to all of us, this doctrine of God's unstoppable faithfulness keeps us from despair. Jacob's sin doesn't do in the plan of God. Neither do the sins committed against Jacob. Laban is a horrible scoundrel. He's just awful. I mean, if you look at him, he is thoroughly repugnant. It is hard to think of somebody more self-centered. Zero concern for others, not even his own daughters. And yeah, he pulls a fast one on Jacob, tricks him into marrying the wrong daughter. Yes, Jacob was susceptible to being tricked because of his own idolatrous pursuit of the other daughter. That was last week's story. But far from this treachery, keeping God from fulfilling his promises to Jacob. So here's my analogy. I just kept thinking about it, and I don't know why. Uh, you know when you're a little kid, and, and you're in the backseat of the car, and you're on the highway, and you pull up next to a Mack truck, and you know, you're trying to get him to honk his horn? And when he does, it's just the greatest thing ever when you hear that horn go off. It's like God's in a Mack truck of faithfulness. 
And he's just plowing right through whatever gets in his way. Right? Jacob's sin plows right through it. Yep, not a problem. I'm going to use that too. Laban's treachery, uh-huh, blowing right through it. I'm going to use that too. God's faithfulness is like a Mack truck that cannot be stopped. Jacob's choice of wife, she was barren. But the one he was tricked into marrying was very fertile. One, two, three, four sons just like that. And then because of Rachel's barrenness and her bad plan of giving him her servant, bang, bang, two more sons just like that. God's accomplishing his purposes despite. And so that's really even a third category of things that God is faithful right through. We've got our own sin. We've got the sin of others around us. But then there's also things like Rachel being barren, right? Just the results of living in a fallen and a broken world. That's no problem for God either. He barrels right through it. None of those things stand in his way. So because of the evil Laban does to Jacob, Jacob ends up with two wives, two concubines, and 11 sons. So you remember that promise first given back to Abraham. You're going to be a great nation. But then Abraham only had one son and he just barely had that one son. And that one son only had two sons. But now we have the makings indeed of a nation. Eleven of the twelve tribes now represented. There's one more to be born if you were counting out there. And some of you were last week. He's been faithful to his promise. And he's even accomplished it through these not-so-ideal means of two wives and two concubines. Right? That's not the ideal setup. Uh, polygamy is never given the, the okay in Scripture. In fact, every single polygamous household in Scripture is a dumpster fire of dysfunction. Without exception. It never works out well. Could God have accomplished his purposes and been faithful to his promises without this polygamous mess? You bet. A whole lot less pain involved if Jacob had followed God's one man, one woman plan for marriage, for human flourishing. But nonetheless, the Mack truck of God's faithfulness plows right on through and accomplishes all he intended. So, now that Jacob has been multiplied and has increased greatly, he's got his thoughts on another part of the promise, the land. As soon as Rachel gives birth to Joseph, that first verse in our passage that we read today tells us that Jacob is setting his sights on going home. It's been 14 years since he left, labored seven years to marry Leah, he, Rachel, he thought, then Leah, seven more to actually get Rachel. And so when Jacob announces his desire to return home, Laban is none too pleased because Jacob's presence has been a boon for Laban. He's been good for business. Seems he has a bit of a Midas touch when it comes to shepherding. And Laban knows it. He, he claims to have found out through divination. As if he needed a fortune teller to read some tarot cards and say, oh, it's Jacob. 
But Jacob thinks it's pretty obvious. Look at verse 29. You yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. But you had little before I came. And it was the Lord who blessed you wherever I turn. So kudos to Jacob here for at least understanding what's going on. That it's not simply Jacob's hard work, though I'm sure Jacob did work hard. This itself is part of God's fulfilling his promise. Right? Think back to other parts of the promise. I'm going to bless you so that what? The families of the earth, the nations of the earth will be blessed in you and through you. And it has certainly happened here with Jacob. Now, uh, Jacob is in a bit of a tight spot here. He wants to go home. But he's got a lot of mouths to feed. And by technicalities, Laban doesn't owe him anything. He served his seven years plus seven years Terrible deal that, it, that he made because of his idolatrous pursuit of Rachel. So Lacob could, by rights, send him on his way empty-handed. And he's likely to do this because he's a scoundrel. And he doesn't care about anybody but himself, not even his grandchildren. What, what kind of a grandfather? Several grandfathers in the room. Imagine yourself sending away your grandchildren empty-handed. He's a scoundrel. So he's not likely to give them anything, but he's also greedy Laban, and he would very much like to continue to get rich off of Jacob's labors and God's accompanying blessing. So he offers to pay him wages. What shall I give you, he asks. And Jacob, by this point, is rightfully skeptical of anything that Laban offers to give. Because the last time that he gave him something didn't exactly go as planned. But Jacob has a plan. He makes Laban an offer that is too good to refuse. I'll be your shepherd for a little while longer, he says. All you have to give me are the misfit sheep and goats, the oddballs. Most of the sheep were white. Most of the goats were black and dark brown. So why don't you give me the very small percentage of the flock that's not that way? The abnormally colored ones, probably about 20% of the total flock, which at the time, the going rate of pay for a shepherd was the shepherd got to keep 20% of the young that were born during his care. So it's not a bad deal at all for Laban. Jacob says, hey, it'll be easy to keep up with. Can't really argue over whether or not a sheep is black or whether a goat is multicolored. It's pretty obvious. So Laban leaps at the offer. Good, let's do it. He probably leaps at the offer because he's already hatched a plan in that wicked mind of his. And we find out that very day, before Jacob even has a chance to blink, all the spotted goats and the black sheep mysteriously disappear. Poof. Well, that's funny. I thought we had some of those too, but I don't see them now. What a pity. So sad for you, Jacob. But, you know, I kind of wonder if Jacob didn't see this coming. Because we don't hear him crying or complaining. He just springs into action. Bizarre, strange action. Like a bit of a mad scientist. Or at least someone who's never studied modern genetics. But it was a commonly held view back then 
that seems to have persisted for quite a while, because even Calvin, writing in the 16th century, is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody knows that's how it works. Really? The belief was that a mother seeing some type of vivid image, either during conception or during pregnancy, would have an impact on the developing embryo and fetus in the womb. And so seeing these multicolored sticks would yield multicolored goats. But now to this breeding voodoo, Jacob does add a bit of proven science. He only utilizes the sticks when the strong animals are breeding and not when the weaker ones are. And lo and behold, it works! Now, the scientifically-minded commentators spend a lot of time talking about why they think it works. Because probably the stronger animals were hybrids, and they had these recessive traits in, in, in their genetic makeup. And so when they bred these recessive, you know, it's a very interesting read if you want to read into it. Here's the bottom line, though. It worked. Not because the science was so great and rock solid. It worked because God wanted it to work. It worked because Jacob's sovereign God wanted to provide for Jacob. And he wanted to do so at the expense of Laban. And he's God and it's okay for him to want to do that. Jacob didn't do anything treacherous this time. He was abiding by the deal he struck with Laban, but God got involved and yet again fulfilled his promise. Verse 43, last verse of our chapter of our passage today, Jacob increased greatly. He will now be well positioned for returning with all these many mouths to feed back to the promised land. There was so much that Jacob did that could have derailed God's promises if that were even possible. So much that Isaac did and that Abraham did that could have derailed God's promises as if that were even possible. So much that was done to Jacob that could have derailed God's promises as if that were even possible. What, what is it for you What's causing your concern this morning, your discouragement? Is it what's going on in the world? You look out there and you say, man, this is spinning out of control. Don't you realize God's still on his throne? Not just despite all of that. Through all of that. Through all of that craziness, he's still on his throne. He's still behind the wheel of his Mack truck and he's just plowing straight on through it. Yep, I'm going to use that too. Yep, I'm going to use that too. Whatever it is in our, in our world, in our culture that has you so alarmed, he's still accomplishing his good purposes through it. But, but maybe the out there isn't your biggest concern. And frankly... I hope the out there isn't your biggest concern. I hope the in here is your biggest concern. 
What if it's in here, something that you're currently struggling with that has you thinking, you know, there's no way God's not going to give up on me. This struggle, this addiction, this doubt, it just has got the best of me. Or maybe it's something in your past that you feel like there's no way God can get over that. Because I sure can't. Friend, your sin, past, present, even future, it cannot derail the plans and purposes of God. That's the essence of the gospel itself. That truth is woven into the gospel in which we believe and stand today. Our sin didn't thwart God's plan of rescue and redemption. It was woven right into his plan from the start. Uh, The the sins of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, of of the, the Roman political leaders. God used all of that to send Jesus to the cross where he had to end up if we were going to be redeemed and rescued. God didn't accomplish his plans in spite of all that they were doing, but through it, he drove his truck right through. Yep, going to use that, going to use that. No, he can be trusted. There's there's nobody out there in this crazy world that we live in that is more powerful than God and that can thwart God's plan. There's nothing going on in your heart or that has gone on in your life that is more powerful than God. He's stubbornly, persistently faithful. He's going to do all that he has planned and promised to do for you. You can believe that. You can rest in that. I promise May we do so by his grace, even this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your stubborn persistence to be faithful to your people. We don't deserve it. We we deserve for you to abandon us. But you abandoned your son instead. You forsook him instead. So that you might never forsake us. He purchased on that cross your being faithful to us, stubbornly and persistently so. You're faithful to us not because we deserve it, but because He does. And we thank you for it. Would you help us? in the areas where we struggle to believe that you could possibly still be faithful, whether it's this crazy world that we live in or this sinful mess that very often is our own hearts. Holy Spirit, press upon these messy hearts the truth of God's faithfulness. Unstoppable, persistent, Stubborn, merited only by Jesus. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.